Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. And, of course, I was at FedEx Field Sunday for a, another wacky Washington Commanders game and a second consecutive win. Taylor Heineke did a lot of Taylor Heineke things, particularly in the second half. Another strong day from the defense, and Tressway continues to be an all-world punter, all that leading to a 23-21 win over the Green Bay Packers. I spoke with our friend Steve Wino from the Associated Press after the game, uh, from the right off the field, more or less, in, in one of the uh, press box seats where the coaches kind of hang out or watch the game from. And my intention was to post this early in the morning, but Ron Rivera's Zoom press conference got pushed from the afternoon to the morning, so things got a bit delayed, and now I'm kind of glad a little bit I waited, because we've got some news today that we need to get into right now, not from the Washington side of things, but from the Indianapolis side of things. The Colts are making a quarterback change. Matt Ryan will not be under center Sunday in Indianapolis. Sam Ellinger will be the quarterback for the Colts. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, an interesting twist on this game, which has already has so many subplots. We'll get to all that in a moment here on the Standard Room Only podcast. Uh, if you, of course, are not a subscriber yet to this podcast, I encourage you to do so. All it takes is a second to hit subscribe. That way you won't miss any of the episodes. Uh, Jay Gruden will be with me later in this week, and hopefully we'll talk with uh, some folks on the Indianapolis side as well, not just about this game, but about, you know, sort of the aftermath of the Carson Wentz trade, not to mention Jim Ursay's comments about Dan Snyder. Uh, of course, also subscribe to The Athletic. My story on The Athletic uh, today was about how if only medical science could help Ron Rivera, because a combination of Carson Wentz, particularly from the physical attributes, and Taylor Heineke, from his feel for the game and his his grit and, and understanding of Scott Turner's offense would be a heck of a quarterback. Instead, they're kind of left of two halves, and they may not, those two halves individually just may not be enough to get them over the top. But nonetheless, they do get a big win yesterday over the Packers, and Aaron Rodgers just did not look like Aaron Rodgers. That is for sure. But Steve Wino and I will get to that in a moment. And among the reasons why Steve is on the podcast this week, he is got a new book coming out uh, about the, about uh, emergency hockey goaltenders, those guys who get called up from the beer league or wherever to, in a few hours, possibly play in an NHL game. And Steve talked to a bunch of the guys who actually did make that uh, random jump from, you know, guy in the stands to guy on the ice. So uh, we'll get to that as well as the game in a moment. Um, what, what, I mean, so I'm, I'm a little bit floored here by this Colt situation. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to it in one second because I do want to focus, of course, on the team uh, that we talk about here, and that is the Commanders. A, I, I'll just say this because Steve and I get into a lot about what happened in, in, in the game. I, I want to give some credit to, to the defense, you know, they took a lot of guff early in the year. The first two weeks, they were 
you know, fairly miserable across the board. And this is on top of what happened last year where they were really a wreck. And particularly in the first half of last year on third down uh, defense in particular this year, they are second in third down through seven weeks. I'm talking to you before the Monday night game, of course. Um, so they have made marked improvement there. And then I was looking at some stats between the first two weeks of the year and what's happened over the last five. And I'm not saying the last five have been clean, right? We saw Jalen Hurts uh, shred them in the second quarter of that week three game. You know, Dallas was was successful uh, making plays as well. But they've definitely been much more solid. And just looking at a few stats to sort of make that point. Um, opponent percentage of plays of 10 yards or more in the first, after two weeks, Washington was 31st, 25.2% of opponent plays went for 10 or more yards in the next five games, fifth at 17.2. How about the rushing game, right? We remember Jacksonville, uh, got a bunch of yards on the ground, Detroit, it was mostly the one DeAndre Swift run, but there was also that Ra, uh, Amon Ross saying Brown end around. Anyway, after two weeks, Washington was dead last in opponent rush yards per attempt at 7.48. In the next five weeks, second best, 3.67. And just one more here, opponent's explosive plays. We saw, you know, over and over again, Opponents making those big plays and and uh, explosive plays. Roughly, you're talking about like 10 to 12 yards on a run, 16 plus yards on a pass. Through the first two games, Washington allowed 16 of those plays, tied for 27th in the league. In the last five games, tied for six at with 28 total. So that's a significant uh, difference with what, what they're doing there. And that's just a few stats. I'll have some more up on The Athletic. Uh, they have just been far more disciplined and mature, and I'm using those two words specifically because Ron Rivera cited those words often last year when talking about uh, the defense in particular, and we're not hearing any of that kind of talk right now. But what's so what was so interesting about the game against Green Bay was just how the defensive line, it was not a game where, you know, where John Allen or Montez Sweat or Jerron Payne you know, compiled a bunch of stats or, or going to necessarily add uh, a lot of uh, footage to their highlight reel. But they were so impactful because Green Bay really just m- decided to move away from even ch- having that group challenge their own offensive line and then potentially get to Rodgers by getting the uh, uh, moving uh by having him throw the ball so quickly. Here's how quick Aaron Rodgers was throwing the ball, okay? According to True Media, Rodgers' average time to throw, 2.19 seconds. Now, just to be clear, this was not a one-off. Green Bay's had some issues with their offensive line uh, this year. And in their when they played New England in Week 4, Rodgers also, his average time to throw was 2.19 However, here's what's interesting. True Media has data on this stat going back to 2013. So not his whole career, but to 2013. Mm-hmm. In that time, uh, I don't have the exact number of how many games Rodgers has played, but you can kind of do the math here. Basically a decade 
you know, 16 games a year. He plays most of the time. Rodgers, this was the uh, sixth. uh, This is a New England game where I guess tied for fifth, the shortest amount of average time to throw for Rodgers. But it is the shortest amount of time for him ever since 2013 in a loss. And like I said, I really, it really to me felt like Green Bay was spooked, probably by their own situation with their revamped line, but also because of what Washington can do. And I think it really says a lot about where this group is, is how this group is forming, where they're coming. Um, you know, Montez Sweat, John Allen, Jerron Payne are all doing well. James Smith Williams, in addition, has played well. And what was also notable to me when you look at the snaps for this game. All four of the defensive, those starting defensive linemen played at least 78% of the snaps. James Smith-Williams, that was his season high. And what was interesting there is there was not a lot of need to rest them because of how well the offense dominated time of possession. Uh, over 37 minutes, Washington had the ball. When you run the ball 38 times like they did and you're able to move the chains, uh, that is a huge difference. Washington has struggled to, to have consistent offense this year. They didn't yesterday. Well, at least they didn't in the second half, we'll say. First half was a little more up and down. Heineke, you know, as we know, was was a bit messy there for sure, but it really uh, got going there and, and, and in the second half. And that's what we talk about, complimentary football. That's what they talk about. It's a phrase Terry McLaurin uses often, and this really was an interesting uh, game in, the, in that regard. All right, so uh, in any event, uh, as I said, the Colts, announced that Sam Ellinger, who was a six-round pick last year out of the University of Texas, will start this week for Matt Ryan. Ryan is dealing with uh, a a shoulder injury, but apparently, according to their coach, Frank Reich, this was a move that would have happened regardless. Ryan is leading the league in interceptions, and the Colts' offensive line is having as many issues as Washington's did earlier in the year, but uh, and, and Matt Ryan at you know, 37, he's just not getting out of the way. Ellinger, when you look at his scouting report, it reads like you're reading a Taylor Heineke report. A lot of intangibles, mobile, gritty, uh, can make throws, uh, but that's not his necessarily his strength. So a really interesting game here. We go from getting Carson Wentz back in Indy against Matt Ryan, the guy who replaced him, and instead we're getting Taylor Heineke against Sam Ellinger wacky and and you know another reminder you know for for those lamenting about Carson Wentz and um and and the decision to acquire him which is reasonable I'm, I'm not arguing that you shouldn't question some things the draft pick compensation that's a sunk cost already other than we don't know if they will be giving up Washington will be giving up a third round pick next year or a second round pick depending on whether Carson Wentz plays in at least 70 percent of the snaps but what we do know is Washington can get out of that contract after this year without any dead cap. The Colts, not so fortunate. They only gave up a third round pick for Matt Ryan, so less draft capital. However, they're on the hook next year for a little over eighteen million dollars. And if they were to keep, if they if they cut Ryan and if they keep him, it's a thirty-five million dollar salary for a guy that they are currently benching and according to frank reich this is a move that will be for the foreseeable future so quite the turnaround we've had just even over the last few weeks uh, looking at this whole wentz ryan colts 
quarterback offseason situation. None of these quarterbacks who moved, who trade, who were traded, uh, who, who's at Russell Wilson, Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz, Baker Mayfield. I guess if you want to say Deshaun Watson, none of those situations are looking particularly good at all. So uh, I mean, Watson, we'll see what happens when he plays, but obviously, you know, major PR hits at a minimum. So uh, now we also have some other news uh, just today. Chase Young is expected or is likely to have his practice window open this week. Uh, J.P. Finley with NBC Sports Washington, you know, he does a, a, a weekly interview with Ron Rivera as part of their their team partner deal. And J.P. tweeted out today that Ron Rivera said that it is uh, likely that that happens, but a slim chance that. Chase Young would actually face the Colts, and I've heard the same as well. Ron Rivera effectively suggested as much yesterday, uh, meaning uh, Sunday after the game, when asked about it. It was a virtual exam with Dr. James Andrews, and from that, it sounded like there were positive vibes, and they would, on Wednesday, learn more about the next steps. So it sounds like that 21-day window will open. As a reminder, what that means is once the clock starts, Washington has 21 days to put Chase Young on the 53-player uh, active roster. If they didn't, then he would be lost for the year. Presumably, that would happen. Uh, obviously, you know, good sign there. It, you know, it has been a long time. It is nearly a year since Chase Young suffered that uh, significant ACL injury against Tampa Bay in Week 10 last year. There's also some patella tendon damage as well. What will be interesting, of course, is oh, there's a lot of interesting aspects here. We'll talk more about this probably later on. But there's the, you know, one, how does he look, right? Not just from the explosiveness standpoint, but just, you know, ha, ha, has he improved in his skill set in, in, in any way? Is he more uh, disciplined out there on the field? All that is something to keep an eye on. They don't need to rush him either, in part because the defensive line has played pretty well. And that's not just John Allen, Deron Payne, and Montez Sweat. They've gotten good work from James Smith-Williams and Casey Tuhill and F.A. Obata uh, as the main players replacing Young. Washington's defense has done a really good job over the last uh, few weeks for sure, so they can take their time bringing Young back. I, in fact, asked Rivera about that, and he said as much that they don't have to rush this. On the other hand, you know, Chase Young is a huge piece, and, and, and from just a pure uh, athleticism aspect, would be an upgrade for this roster. The question is, you know, um, d you know, d does how does that, what does adding him do to the mix? Does it improve them overall? Um, you know, d does he need to be brought along in more of a rotational way? How will that all work? And then there's some of the bigger picture stuff. We talk a lot about Deron Payne's contract situation. Um, he's expiring at the end of the year. Montez Sweat is up for extension. And now you have Chase Young, who would be eligible for, you know, he, he would be in position to get an extension the year after that. You know, how he looks over the remainder of the season could go a long way towards determining what ultimately does happen with Payne and perhaps Sweat. So a lot in play, but in the short term, Chase Young, it appears, is on the verge of returning at least to practice, and then we'll see when he is able to get back on the field.
really interesting stuff. We'll, we'll, we'll talk more about this later in the week for sure. But right now, I want to get to my conversation with Steve Wino. We spoke, as I said, uh, right after uh, the commander's 23-21 win. We talked about uh, both sides of the ball. Uh, and, of course, we also talked about Steve's upcoming book that I hope everybody will check out. So here we go, my conversation with Steve Wino. All right, joining me here at the stadium is a guy who is definitely living his best life this week. Phillies fan, he just watched his team win their way into the World Series, and he's the author of a book that is coming out uh, Tuesday, I believe, right? Tuesday? Odd Man in Hockey's Emergency Goalies and the Wildest One-Day Job in Sports. He is, of course, the Associated Press's Steve Wino. Uh, we'll get to your book in a minute. It's a big deal for sure. Uh, I guess it's a big deal for this team, the Washington Commanders, that they came out with a win. This is two wins in a row. If if the if you were getting style points for any of this, I don't think they're getting a lot, but it doesn't really matter. It, it, it goes a, it goes another one in the in the W column and I, survive in advance, I guess. They don't ask how, they ask how many. And, and this is two ugly wins in a row. But as Ron Rivera said, if you got to win ugly, who cares? And and they did enough to win against a team that is going the other way. And, and, and the Packers, certainly a team that, that is struggling right now to get anything going. Aaron Rodgers doesn't look like himself. But this was, it wasn't like they just lucked into this win. This was a, a, a defensive scheme by Jack Del Rio of basically saying, we're going to make Aaron Rodgers beat, beat us, rushing for... Counting on your your best players, your defensive line, best players outside of Tressway, your defensive line, doing the job well enough that everyone behind them doesn't have any extra pressure on them. And it worked. And, and Taylor Heineke, I think we've talked about this so much, he's not the prototypical starting quarterback with all the size and all that like a Carson Wentz or an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady. He knows how to win games. And, and, and after a really bad start, one of seven with the pick six, and got lucky, got bailed out on the on the, the fumble that was returned for a touchdown because the game could have gone very differently from there. He did enough things with his feet, with some big throws, including a few to Terry McLaurin, to win this game. Um, we'll come back to Heineke in a second. We'll come back to the defense in a second. You mentioned their best players, and you mentioned Tress Way. I tweeted at some point today because this was another phenomenal Tress Way game, second game in a row. The, the uh, punt returner for the other team muffed the punt. Washington was able to recover it both times deep in the other opponent territory, and it led to points today, I think a field goal today. Um, but the momentum where the offense was sputtering, the defense was fine pretty much throughout, but the, they got a lot of momentum from Tressway, the punt coverage. Uh, Rivera mentioned that. And, you know, we don't talk a lot about the punter uh, here for, you know, sort of obvious reasons, but it really is just an unbelievable weapon, and he's able to flip the field so many times. And uh, today was a day where that really felt like it mattered. It does, because it's not just how far he's able to punt the ball. The, the hang time he gets on punts allows guys to get downfield so that when somebody, a returner, muffs a punt, they're there to recover it. And because you have plenty of times where guys botch it and there's nobody within 10 yards, and all of a sudden it's just, oh, this a near-miss mistake, and it doesn't really turn into anything. They're turning it into things because the punt coverage has been so good. And, and, and Tressway is the first person to always thank his coverage team, his gunners, those kind of guys, for doing that job for him. But when a, a whole lot of aspects about this team weren't going well throughout the season, the punt team is all, has been going well, and now it's turning into points and turning into victories. Yeah. And Ron Rivera cited Christian Holmes as uh, he's, he, he was praising their gunners on special teams. Christian Holmes, one of them, two weeks in a row, he's been part of the group that recovered the, uh, the, 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 the fumbles, and like I said, that was huge today. Defensively, 
Okay, we are long removed from the from people screaming for Jack Del Rio's head. This is five weeks in a row. I don't have the stats in front of me here, but they were like 11th in DVOA uh, football outsiders stat for defense coming into this game. They have been really good on third downs. Green Bay today, 0 for 6 on third down, according to Washington PR. First game in Aaron Rodgers' career in which he's not con- converted a third down. That is quite the stat. You're looking with. That hadn't happened in Packers history since 1999. Brett Favre was the quarterback, and Aaron Rodgers hadn't graduated from high school. Yeah. The last time that happened by, for a Green Bay team. Yeah, so kudos to these guys for doing it. Now, I was talking in the locker room. I was talking to Montez Sweat a little bit, and Chase Young was sitting there. And uh, Montez was kind of saying, I think he was a little bummed by how this end of the game worked. Green Bay ultimately got a touchdown, in part because the referees were blowing a lot of whistles on Washington. Fair or not, that was happening. But he was also, I think, just sort of like lamenting a little bit that maybe this wasn't the game where the stats are going to show that the defensive line was that dominant. But Chase piped in and said, no. Oh, because I was mentioning it didn't seem like Green Bay was taking a lot of shots deep. And Chase piped in and goes, that's where you guys made the mark on the on the defensive line. Because Green Bay was clearly petrified to let Rodgers uh, be in the pocket and have these defensive linemen rush against his makeshift offensive line. They didn't have their best left tackle, David Bakhtiari. They've been a mess on the line. So it was one of those games where the defensive line was almost dominant to a degree by just completely taking Green Bay out of whatever kind of offense they had, and the rest, the back seven did, did their job as well. And that's what Aaron Rodgers said. He's like, look, they've got a great front four, but they didn't do anything. And he didn't, he didn't mean that as, as a knock on Washington's defense. He meant they did nothing special. They did a lot of two safety looks, a couple man coverages here and there, so, some other little stuff, but that was it. Like there, there was not a whole lot else special in this game plan other than you're going to take the front four, and press the offensive line, and then everything in Green Bay's offense was flustered. Aaron, the, the 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 line, Aaron Rodgers himself, like he, it doesn't help that he's got young receivers he hasn't doesn't build chemistry with, and that's still struggling. But the combination of that is the rest of the guys didn't have to do too much, and, and the scheme really worked, the execution of it worked. It's amazing how good this defense looks since William Jackson went out. Uh, amazingly, I mean, a penalty on Rashad Wild Goose at one point, but still, the, the the DBs and the linebackers held up. They did what they had to do. It was, it was the very basic of the the scheme allowed them to make Aaron Rodgers look like a rookie. We'll get to the Washington offense in a second, but what was startling to me, you go back to that Detroit game. It seemed like the Lions had receivers open all over the place, and we've talked a lot about Washington. Just, uh, I don't know if they're not getting separation or Carson Wentz isn't hitting these guys. Today was like the opposite. Every Green Bay throw, it was like the, there was nobody even open, short, even short. Whereas on the other side, Washington had a lot of guys open. So yes, I'm with you. Since the William Jackson benching slash injury, it's been pretty stable, and I don't see any reason they should change that, which leads to probably the idea of the trade deadline, November 1st, and, and William Jackson perhaps being uh, out of here. Uh, let, let's go to the fun side. Uh, <laughs> Taylor Heineke, as you said, really a disaster start. One for seven, throws a pick six because he's late. Um, he got hit later, fumbled the ball. Green Bay picks it up, runs it back for a touchdown. They were lucky that up uh, play away from the ball, Green Bay was called for defensive holding. Otherwise, the game probably flips there, and Washington may never come back yeah, who knows? <laughs> to get the job done. But Heineke, <laughs> it's not conventional. It's not pretty. But he, like you said, he just finds ways to get the ball done. I don't understand why they were leaving him in the pocket so much as if he was like the standard traditional drop back quarterback. But later in the game, they were getting him out a little bit more. And he was, like I said, finding guys underneath over and over again. 
and the thing about Heineke for me, Wino, and I think the it the contrast the the contrast with him and Went is so fascinating, both physically and mentally. But I think Heineke is he said this. He's like I'm. I'd rather throw a five yard pass and let Terry McLaurin or Curtis Samuel run for twenty, then try to throw the ball down the field. And Went is the opposite. And today, at least, that helped them move the ball. They scored the first three possessions of the second half, and that's really where the game turned. Yeah, and with Scott Turner's offense, that is what you need. And this is why Alex Smith succeeded in in that spot was managing the game. And, and my thought going into the season was that if Scott Turner and Ron Rivera and Kansas Zampezi could get a little more Alex Smith game manager out of Carson Wentz, that he'd be fine. But that's not Carson Wentz's MO at all. And, and Taylor Heineke was on his couch whatever two years ago and and, and all of this. So like he doesn't he doesn't have the it's like it's like Herb Brooks said in 1980, you don't have enough talent to win on talent alone. Taylor Heineke knows that. He knows he doesn't have the, the, the big arm or the, the, the kind of ability to sit in the pocket and make plays. So he just pulls out every possible trick in the book to do it. And when you have playmakers like Terry McLaren, which, by the way, more impressive than anything else is McLaren did this without Deami Brown in the lineup, without Jahan Dotson, without Logan Thomas. You figure a defense could just focus on stopping Terry McLaren, and it has happened in recent weeks. Now, all of a sudden, without those, those weapons in the lineup, Terry McLaren's even better, and Taylor Heineke knows where his failsafe is. Yeah, he hit McLaurin with a deep shot, a lofted pass for a 37-yard touchdown. And then at the end of the game, a couple times, especially on a third down, he just looked Terry's way and let him make the play. And, you know, I asked Terry about those contested catches last year. He led the league in contested catches. And I know at the time, I think a lot of the thought, myself included, was this is an example of why they maybe need a better not a better, but a different type of quarterback, a stronger arm because of Heineke's throwing sort of the 50-50 balls. That leads to this. But the flip side is he's giving those guys a chance in ways I just don't think Wentz has been doing. Wentz throws a much prettier deep ball, but if you're only looking for the opening, then you're not going to give your guys a shot, and Heineke did a better job um, of, of that. The other thing today was I didn't look at the final stats, but this had to have been their best running game. 166 of, yards rushing, I think, to, to Green Bay's 38. So that's both sides of the ball, really. Yeah, and, and just like you know, Brian Robinson was doing some effective things. Uh, uh, Antonio Gibson had some nice runs as sort of the change of pace guy, as it were. And that combination, you go back to last year, that four-game winning streak, this is why I was writing early last this offseason that this is why they wanted a guy like ultimately that became Brian Robinson because that's the formula that works so well. It's maybe not the prettiest. Maybe it's the margin for error isn't so great. But it's what works for these guys last year. It worked again today, ultimately. And as long as Heineke's in there, I think this is the formula. The question is, <laughs> down the line, what happens? Well, I mean, we worry about down the line later <laughs> at that point. But, yeah, and, and that's and that's the recipe that this team should have to win, is you don't want to make your quarterback have to win games. And, and Taylor Heineke did make throws to help them win this game. No doubt about that. But when you have an effective running game, like Brian Robinson dragging guys down the field, it, it allows, it makes defenses kind of have to, to question that. Because the number of times Carson Wentz was getting sacked earlier this season, it was because it was obvious passing situations. Pass rushers could just pin their ears back and go. And when you don't have those situations and, and defenders aren't sure what's coming and you're then more unpredictable, that's a better offense. And, and that's a recipe for, for any team, but specifically the way this team is built with an offensive line that is also being pieced together and on the fourth starting center and all those sort of things they offensive linemen like run blocking they really don't like pass blocking and and, and if, if you can take advantage of what this offensive line is good at and really have less emphasis on what they're not so good at 
That's how you put yourself in position to win games, at least. In, in your career, did you did you prefer run blocking to pass blocking? Uh, yeah, always a run blocker. Yeah, you, you know me, five foot six and a half guy here, <laughs> run, run blocking, sure. Um, let's pivot away from the game for a second and talk about the sort of the ex- ancillary parts of this. Uh, a lot of cheese heads here. That's to be expected. Uh, Percy Butler left the game with an actual cheese head hat, uh, so good for him on that one. I think he's the one who recovered the fumble. That's like a souvenir of war or something, right? Like that's like you just take something from somebody. <laughs> he's like pillaging cheese cheese heads. Absolutely. Uh, he said a fan gave gave it to him. Um, but the most interesting aspect, of course, of this game was so it's a sp- pretty ugly first half, and at one point during a timeout on the television screen of the TV on the video board. They put up a, a, a video. I'm not even sure what was the, was some sort of a charitable situation, right, yep. for the organization. And Tanya Snyder is shown on the video board, and she gets booed as the video is, like, ending. Chants start erupting, at least certainly in front of us in the press box, by a lot of people of sell the team, sell the team. And I don't know if that's the first time that's ever been uttered, but in terms of, like, we recognize where we are right now with this whole situation with, you know, Jim Ursay, who, yep. of course we'll get to see next week coming out the other day at the league meetings and saying there's a quote merit and quote to removing Dan Snyder as the owner and all that backdrop. And, and it was this interesting, that dynamic took place. I, I, it, you know, and you could just tell, like, obviously a lot of people are sick of this, but even the fact that like the people who were showing up were just so frustrated, that was, it was just interesting to see all this kind of play out. Yeah, and, and Ron Rivera likes to try to separate the football from everything else, and this was one of those times where it seeped in, where, where clearly the week that was, and Jim Irsay and Dan, Tanya Snyder, and also obviously Dan's absence from the homecoming sort of festivities, just like he was the homecoming uh, welcome home luncheon uh, that this team does before the season, like he wasn't there. It was Tanya as the face of everything, but Dan Snyder is who everyone is talking about, and the, the fans... Uh, they're not in a bubble. They're not, like, as much as Ron Rivera wants to keep his players in a bubble and ignore the white noise, fans are reading these things. They're listening to you. They're they're watching things. And Dan Snyder and this team and the ownership is the story. It's not like he's been a popular owner for the balance of the last 20-plus years, but we're reaching a point now where, I don't know if you agree, but it does seem closer than ever to this actually happening of, of Dan Snyder maybe not owning this team forever. And, and I think fans are starting to, to get a feel for that. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the closer forever, it'd be like if we were driving from here to Los Angeles and we were in Maryland, we were in West Virginia, and now we're in, uh, I don't know where it's over there, Illinois. Are we closer? Yes. Are we to the finish line? We're, no, we're still a long ways away. And that's kind of how I look at it. Like, some signs for sure that there could be an opening. And I think on some level, it almost feels like that was the reaction, the sell the team reaction. Like it was louder than it had been normal. It just, if, if maybe some one or two people, but this was more in unison, and it felt like people were like, "Okay, something's happening. Let's let's there's keep mo- going." There's momentum. There, there's yeah. mo- but, like, and, you, and I think I think it's actually closer than, than you think it is, just based on being at the owners' meetings and, and and kind of knowing the investigation, Mary Jo White's investigation is is coming sooner than later. That's the thing they've been waiting for. That's what Roger Goodell has been telling all the owners. I want you to reserve your judgment until that. If there is anything damning in that. This could be over sooner than later. If that clears him, then you're right. It's gonna you, you push the goalpost back and, and, and kind of see how this plays out with Congress with other things. But yeah, the, the fans sense the, the the momentum is real about something happening here. And you know, in terms of the clearing him, I do think you know at three and four, they're not go. The commanders are not likely at this moment to make 
major moves at the trade deadline, and we could debate whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. But regardless, that's not the case. But in terms of the bigger picture, if, I th- believe that Dan Snyder is largely staying out of the football stuff. Yes. But if they, if he is cleared to whatever to that means, he's not. There's no major sanction. Then I think he gets more involved, and then we have different questions about where things go uh, with this group. But we'll come back. Uh, we'll we'll deal with that some other time when you come back. Um, I mentioned at the top, you've got a book. Let's get let's get to that. This is you know look. People here know I talk about the Wizards. I'll try. I'll, I'll get uh, somebody to come in to talk some baseball. I don't really talk about hockey unless you're here or, or Brian McNally is here, and I just throw a question at you guys for fun. But this is such an interesting component of hockey. It's like okay, we like Taylor Heineke on the sisters' couch, right? It's like that. What you wrote about these emergency goalies who are literally just Joes who play in like the, the, the rec leagues or whatever, who one day get called up to be an emergency goalie and sometimes actually get thrown in. At least Taylor Heineke had been in the league. We're talking about your beer league type dudes, and that's what's so interesting. That's what you wrote about. How, how to t- tell us about that and how you kind of came up with this. It's just the, the weirdest, dumbest thing in sports. It's just like there's no such thing that if the, all four quarterbacks who are active today got hurt, that there's some D3 quarterback or FCS quarterback in the stands waiting to come in. That just doesn't exist. There's no other league where someone who's not in the league can play in a game in the league. That, that, that's like when I try when you try to wrap your head around it, it's absurd. It, it's it's the weirdest thing, and it's the most amazing thing at the same time because so far we've seen a handful of guys go into games all since 2016, or really since 2018, and, and play for real, and they played pretty well. It's it, it, it's quite incredible. The the guys who are not NHL goaltenders have gone into NHL games and fared incredibly well. I just it, it, it's it's just the wackiest thing and and. And hockey people are great about wanting to tell their stories and all that. It's just like talking hockey. It's just they're all goalies. They're just regular people. One guy went to an accounting his account. He dropped his kids off at school. Went to his accounting job in downtown Chicago. Took the train home. Picked them up and was like, and it was in an NHL game for the Blackhawks three hours later. It's absurd. I was just going to ask you for an anecdote, but that right there, I, I think I remember that that, that one. And that's because did really well, right? He, he's, he's played. He stopped all seven shots he faced. <laughs> against the Winnipeg Jets, an actual NHL team with all-star players in who were, the Jets were a playoff team that year and are bound for the playoffs, and Scott Foster, a, an accountant by day, who plays beer league hockey at the local practice rink, came in an NHL game. David Ayers in, in Toronto, who is the Zamboni driver, arena operator for another rink, is at 40 years old, kidney transplant guy, and, and all of a sudden comes in and beats the Toronto Maple Leafs on Hockey Night in Canada, at a time that, that that team needed a win, wins it for the Carolina Hurricanes and just becomes the biggest story in, in, in hockey and sports. He was on Colbert, the Today Show. It, it's just, it, it's incredible, the, the 15 minutes of fame sort of element and the everyman element to this, that anybody who's a beer league goalie right now in any of these NHL cities thinks, that could be me next. Yeah, it's 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 quite unbelievable. All right, so, you should, so again, the book comes out Tuesday. You can buy it, I presume, uh, at Amazon and all the, the usual places you can one can buy books. Yes. Including Steve Wino's trunk. You can buy from you buy from me also at Aslan Brewing uh, this Wednesday the 25th uh, six to nine we're doing an event and the Irish Channel Thursday November 10th Irish Channel downtown in, in Chinatown from seven o'clock on we'll be selling books signing books you can get it on Amazon you can get it from me I hope everyone likes it I, I just I, it was it was a lot of work but it was fun and I just I hope people enjoy reading it. I, I don't read books a lot, unfortunately, but I will be reading this one absolutely. Uh, you, before I let you go, clearly, again, as I said at the top, nobody's living a better life right now than Steve Wynow. 
with that in mind, are the commanders about to start living their best life? Do you act? Do you see? We talked about momentum in different ways. Do you see this as actual momentum, or is it more just smoke and mirrors? And look, I mean, Green Bay is clearly scuffling. They've lost three in a row. The Bears last week are a mess of a team. Uh, what, what do you think the momentum truly is real, or we're still jury out? The, the, the schedule allows for the momentum to be real because the Colts are coming up. Colts are a mediocre team. The Vikings, I, I know they look good on paper, but this is Kirk Cousins' return and some weird things could happen. I expect weird things to happen. I know there's a Monday night game against Philly coming up, but you can start looking at the schedule and say, can they get into wild card kind of contending territory? They're going to need teams in their division to fall apart because it's still an uphill climb. But you see the you see the recipe. This game provided the blueprint of how this team can win games. Whether they do it or not moving forward, that it's, it's going to be it's tough. It's still an uphill climb given the division, but they've showed how they can do it. Steve, appreciate the time. Good luck on the book. Excited to read it. Congrats on your Phillies. Bryce Harper, I'm, gl- I'm glad, you chipped, Harper. glad you chipped in with that billion-dollar contract and uh, help him out. Um, uh, all you Nats fans, let's let the man have his moment. We can deal with we can deal with Bryce Harper uh, uh, crying later. Ah, uh, Steve, appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me.